Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us here on Bikes and Big Ideas on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm David Golay, the bike editor at Blister, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, so my guest this week on the show is EXT suspension founder Franco Frotten, who has done a really incredible amount of interesting stuff in suspension over the course of his career beginning with working on motocross suspension for Fox and then eventually working on the Ferrari and later Lotus Formula One teams and then eventually founding EXT, which initially focused on motorsports suspension and wasn't involved in the bike world at all. But then something like eight years ago, EXT got a little push to start making some bike suspension. One thing led to another, and now they're making some of the most impressive forks and shocks that we spent time on here at blister and so we sat down with franco to get a whole bunch of that history and his story and a bunch of really cool stuff about his design philosophy and how he approaches suspension design as well but before we get into all that we'd really like to take just a quick second to encourage those of you who've listened to a bunch of these shows to take the one minute that it will take you to leave us a rating or review in apple podcasts Getting those reviews up really helps us keep the show going and growing, and it'll be a big help. And so with that, let's get right into my conversation with Franco. Well, Franco, welcome to Bikes and Big Ideas. Thank you for coming on. How are you today and where are you today? Oh, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm in Italy. I am at the factory and... uh yeah, I think are, are pretty good. We are very busy. A, a lot of different trouble due to the COVID restrictions are still affecting uh, our everyday working life. And also, obviously, is affecting all the different industry because of the problem on getting raw material and thing. We are quite lucky that anyhow we are uh, uh, manufacturing everything here in Italy. So we, we are less dependent from other from Asia, but we still uh, don't find it easy. Let's put it like this. <laughs> yeah, it's been a tough time for everyone, even yeah. folks like yourselves who are manufacturing relatively close to home. And well, I guess sort of on that note, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with the XT. We've been incredibly impressed with the, the few products of yours that we've reviewed over the last couple of years. And we'll get more into the bike products specifically in a little bit here. But I wanted to start by talking about just your background more generally and the history of EXT, because you and EXT have done a whole lot of interesting things in suspension for quite a while before entering the bike world somewhat more recently, relatively speaking. And so I guess take us through a little bit of that. How did you first get interested in suspension design and tuning and where did you start in that world okay so I, i'm quite old <laughs> for sure much older than you <laughs> and uh, i always had passion for motorcycle i thought i was going to become a good motocross rider but i was very wrong and when i bought my first uh, motorcycle after two hours, I was in hospital for four months. So I, I realized it wasn't my <laughs> capacity to be a good rider. Uh, but anyhow, the passion was there. And with some friends, we 
end up to build over a few years a complete motorcycle for uh, circuit racing. So I'm talking about the 70s, so uh, a long time ago. Uh, and uh, it was need also to tune the suspensions. And at the time, you know, suspension was really very basic. Even so, in Italy, we were one of the country that was developing the best motorcycle, especially for circuit racing. And uh, we had a few companies manufacturing suspension. So uh, I got into looking and see what we could do to make it better for our own motorcycle. <clears throat> so uh, I was, I discovered to be very interested into the technologies. It was anyhow already into suspensions because, you know, when you, when you look suspension over the year, has changed a lot in performance, quality, but the general design has been is very, very basically similar to the last 50 years, at least. You know, telescopic fork, you know, cylinder tube, one into the other, and uh, shock absorber, uh, you know. So very, very, very similar. So at a certain moment, I had a chance just for uh, luck, to see that Fox, uh, he was manufacturing a new air shocks for motocross. So I wrote to Fox and I said, oh, I'm an engineer, uh, you know, just finished study. I'm very interested in to what you're doing. Uh, I would like to understand if you, I could work with you. And they replied to me, if you come here, we give you a job. So <laughs> it was 78, I think, and uh, I went to San Jose and, uh, and, I, and I started working with them. And uh, after a few months, I was given the responsibility to look after the uh, suspension support for the World Championship in motocross. So mainly it was being held in, uh, in Europe. It was only one race in, uh, or two races in, in the United States. So uh, this is how I started. So I got more and more to know, uh, you know, the, a new technique because I think Fox at the time has been the father of the big innovation in suspensions. Okay, so uh, what was new at the time was made by Fox for the motocross. And I did work with them for about seven years till 85. At the time, uh, the Japanese was making new motorcycle and better suspensions. So it was less demand for high-tech suspension for motocross. Also, the dollar, I remember at the time when sky high compared uh, the European currency. So it was really difficult for Fox to sell because this is the reason, and Fox did struggle quite a lot. So I had to find a new way for myself. I ended up to be to work as a consultant and uh, I did uh, 
at the time I was capable to enter in the Ferrari for the Formula One. So uh, I worked for Ferrari till 89, from 85, 86 till 89. And end of 89, I did move uh, to UK to work for Lotus. Is, uh, uh, and I was getting the responsibility for the suspension department in the F1 for Lotus. Uh, again, I uh, uh, was very interested, but unfortunately, uh, the financial situation at Lotus was very, very hard. So, end of 91, so only one half year after I moved to UK, I decided to found my own company. So, I found a company called Dynamic Suspensions, and, and I was very lucky. I was very lucky because obviously I had some good designs that was working very well, but also I was lucky that I was capable to get some of my colleagues that was working at Lotus, some very clever guys that came along as they worked in the company with me. And there we did develop over a few, about 10 years, a very, very interesting company that was basically working only in... Uh, automotive uh, and developing suspension for the motorsport industry and uh, I end up to sell the company to a big Canadian uh, multinational group that work in automotive and since then I thought I was going to be a, a good retire happy person but again the passion has always been part of my life, and I think I've been very lucky because, you know, uh, for me, working is fun, okay, even if it's uh, sometimes difficult, but I um, get up every morning like if it was a, a new day to discover something new and to make something new happen. So, uh, a certain moment after a few years of very exclusive consultancy for Toyota for the motorsport side and for Citroën on the rally, I had the possibility to get a new company starting in Italy and uh, again only working in a particular project for the motorsport, it was car, it was also a motorcycle. Then one day I got a phone call, I think it was 2014, from a guy calling me from UK and it will say, look, I'm David Garland and uh, I bought a Saxo Super 1600 kit car, x and I would like to get some suspension made as I know you did made this few years ago for this car. So I said, yes, yeah, no problem. We, we can make it if you have time to wait because uh, it was a classic car at the time, you know. The, the Sacros was, uh, I think, 92. And he, he called me 13 years later, okay? So I said, yeah, but we can do it. And, uh, and talking with him, I said, yes, but what you are doing? He said, oh, you don't remember me, but I, I, I know you very well. I said, how? He said, ah, yeah, you are the guy that was making dynamic suspension. And when I was a young guy, 
I was working as a mechanic at Ford Motorsport. So, you know, I saw you, I know what you have done. And anyhow, I'm now a chief mechanic of an MTB team. I said, an MTB team? Yeah, I'm the chief mechanic for the giant team for Danny Hart. I said, oh, that's interesting. And he said, would be you interesting to build some damper for uh, Danny for the downhill? I said, well, I'm interested on everything that has to do with damper. So he said, oh, if you said you are interested, I will come down to see you. I said, yes, it's fine. So two days later, Dave was here. And he came with his uh, original damper and we had a look. And we decided it was something that we could achieve quite quickly. But at the time, it was just like a fun uh, project. No, no one at the factory was thinking of doing MTB damper. Uh, also, the company was quite small because being an engineering, working only with some dedicated project, we never had the to think about the commercial side of the business or the marketing on this. It's just an engineering, building some very special project with few engineers, and that's finishing the story. No big number, you know, just technique. And uh, so we build the damper very quickly because likely an MTB damper is very similar to an F1 damper as a dimension, a size. So... It was very easy for us to make it happen very quickly. They were very happy. And because of Dave's connection with some, let's say, quite influenced guy in the MTB, like uh, Steve Jones, that it was on dirt bike at the time. And after we, we got to know uh, Ryan Palmer, uh, from United States, and and after Chris from Mojo, and all these people that had the passion, okay, like us, and they were interested in something new. So we had to uh, slowly understand that it was maybe a possibility for us to to do something in MTB, not just for fun, okay. And they are basically it took us five years or well, four to to put together a, a good project with the idea to really enter in this very difficult industry because uh, for sure it's a large industry with big potential but very difficult because uh, it is somehow very much uh, controlled by few big group that can uh, that have a lot of power <laughs> okay so uh, I think I have answered you a little bit of how 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 think has happened <laughs> to arrive to to today <laughs> no that was excellent and there's a, a ton of very interesting bits in there and I guess the, the kind of gets to one of the things that I wanted to touch on a little bit is that the like you sort of said there going into the mountain bike world was a pretty substantial change for you in terms of making kind of more mass relatively mass market consumer oriented products as opposed to doing 
kind of smaller projects for motorsports race programs and not doing nearly as much selling things just to the, the quote unquote average consumer so so much and uh i guess i'd be curious to hear about sort of what it was like kind of having that change in focus and having the company grow into this new this new market that operates pretty differently than the spaces that you had been working for so much longer prior to that when you work with the passion but also you want well at least i always work to prove that i'm better than the other and this is what i like to see ext to be and i think all the people at the factory have this type of uh, philosophy we we work to be better and when you we found ourselves that a lot of people was appreciating let's say the quality of the performance but we found that it was very difficult to get the industry really to appreciate it because we have no one to support us financially and to develop product it is very expensive in the motorsport is working differently in motorsport team works team you know factory team calling whatever they are they have budget to run their season and they go around and they try to shop the best engineers the best technology to go faster okay because they then the result is is this one to go faster so they have a budget and when they come to xt as they go to other company they come to said we need for you to develop something that make us to go quicker and obviously you need to be reliable need to be safe and, but we need to go faster uh, so you put together a plan and you put together a development cost and they are willing to pay especially when you are somehow recognized to be capable they are happy to pay you all a project development and after to put to purchase the part but in mtb this never happened to us no one ever pay us uh, to to develop something what we did with dave uh, was just to prove something yeah we for the maybe with giant we could have done something but it never ended up to be so at the point we 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 have to come to a conclusion or we stop because uh, we have proved what we wanted or if we want to progress we need to get some money from somewhere to support the development because obviously while we were doing the first uh, Project, we understood that we had to improve anyhow in some areas that was not of our know-how. Okay, so the only way was to be able to start selling, because selling the product and from there to make some income to be able to support the development. Uh, today we have twenty people that work every day on doing MTB. In the company, so uh, these twenty people need to be paid. 
<laughs> Obviously, as we need to pay for all the different things that we try to develop for the MTB. So uh, we we never fought uh, to mass production. If you want to build with the type of quality and with our uh, process, and that is quite standard for all our project, it is no way to think about mass production. We can talk about high volume, obviously, to maintain uh, the development and, uh, and to be able to also uh, to produce an income. Uh, you need to manufacturing a decent amount of parts. And uh, so we, we have to start thinking in two different ways. So how we could develop the market for us, in, in which way. And, uh, and also in the same time, we understood that we needed also to introduce some other product rather than just having the, the one damper because uh, uh, the story uh, that is now very well known and very successful but our original design was to make a DH damper and when we did the DH damper we, we discovered because we were very ignorant about MTB that yeah you could sell one DH damper and you, but it was 100 at least to sell in the enduro so we have to start thinking oh here we we got the stick from the wrong side <laughs> we need to address it so we started developing a new damper that was called the storia and we put it the lock uh, when everybody was saying oh you cannot get a lock into a coil damper i think it's a damper it's a damper you can put a lock wherever you want it's not a question because you have a coil or you have an airspring but so we did it in this way and uh, using the same design because our story is designed exactly like our DH. You just have a couple of different features. And, uh, and this was proving to be good. It's been appreciated. And then we did uh, to think about uh, making a fork because a lot of people was saying, you know, the damper is great, but now the fork is even worse than before. So what can we do? So again, we we had experience in in fork because we have been doing some particular development project, even for Ducati, in for the MotoGP. So we understand quite well what is a fork. But obviously, the mountain bike fork it's another beast uh, with different need. And, and uh, I always said, unfortunately, some very tight industry standard uh, in, in the dis general design and dimension that oblige uh, some kind of big compromise, well, at least today. But so, again, we have some very, very nice, very capable engineer here, all young, with a lot of passion, and all of them are a passion for mountain bike. So we we did our own project and we are still learning quite a lot. Uh, we put it together this uh, first era fork that 
I think has been having some good review. It's, uh, you know, despite our uh, being very young into this, uh, and as I said before, we are learning every day uh, how to make it better, and, uh, and, and we are learning that, uh, or not we are learning, we are confirming every day that uh, a fork in MTB is not an easy object to make it good. Uh, we are very confident any moment that with a damper we can find the best solution ever. Uh, with the fork, uh, we are convinced, we know how to do it better, but we found it not easy, like uh, I think for everybody, because of the design constriction that has been chosen a few years ago. And, uh, and this has affected, I think, a little bit everybody. No, I, I think that's an interesting point, that the the kind of modularity that mountain bikes are expected to have makes things a lot more complicated in certain ways because as a designer of suspension parts because forks particularly because like you said you have these restrictions in wheel interface standards and probably more significantly in the uh steer tube and getting the, the fork to mount up to any given frame in ways that you don't aren't necessarily quite so constrained on say motorcycles where there's not quite the same expectation that you can just swap any given fork onto any given bike in quite the same way. And that is actually kind of one of the, in some ways, I think more standout features of the era is the um, crown interface that you came up with. And that where um, for people who aren't familiar, we'll, we'll put a photo up and we, we talk about it a fair bit in our full review of the fork, which we'll link to in the show notes of this too. But instead of having a, it's, it, it, in terms of fit to the bike, it's a normal 1.5 to one and an eighth inch tapered steer tube. But instead of having the steerer tube be the full one and a half inch diameter at the bottom, it uh, uses a much bigger portion of the crown to um, take up that extra bit of diameter, essentially. And that allows you to have a much greater overlap of the crown and steerer tube interface. Uh, that was one where I, as soon as I saw that on the floor, I, was, I kind of was just struck by, wow, that's a great idea. How has no one thought of this before kind of thing? And it was a very creative bit of of thinking to solve a very real problem with single crown forks, particularly where you run into just, you have this interface that's very short and subjected to a very large bending moment. And they just come loose and creak a lot on a lot of forks. And that's, it seems like a very ingenious way to get around that problem. Yeah, for sure. This uh, design concept has helped a lot uh, to uh, get away from this possible creaking situation or losing the stem into the crown. Uh, it's, it's a design that has been developed between us and Mojo. Uh, Chris, uh, since he, he came down to us uh, the first time uh, end of 2017, I think. Uh, I think he liked it a lot, our way to, to do our working idea or working philosophy. So 
um, we work very close when we have to develop something that especially is new and and where we we do not have enough experience because we need to be honest you know we are very young in the industry i think uh, when we're talking about gumping technology and system yes we have plenty of experience when we have to go down into really the application yeah our experience is limited so it's better to go and to see some people that have more experience and they are they like uh, innovation and they think a lot and chris is one of these so uh, the one thing that is very important in in our way to work we invest a lot of time on measuring so because we are playing very often with something that is also very dangerous or can become very dangerous because you know one of the major worries i have uh, mainly every weekend it is that i know that these people that rely on what we have been designing and manufacturing to go fast and uh, but they are also risking their life so you know it's uh, it's always a big responsibility that is always behind me you know uh, and then you know when you start maybe you think only you have this application but now we have racing that go around every single weekend around the world in any field so measuring and simulation it is something that uh, we have always been investing a lot of effort so uh, one of the biggest investment that is carry on basically every day for us is uh, in the mtb is to measure all the different area of the bicycle and especially in the suspension just to understand better what the effort what are the deformation what are the the areas that should be improved to make the product more safe because uh, you know this is think it's uh, it's very very important today especially in mtb where the weight it's one of the parameters that people like to use to judge the quality obviously we we don't like this okay we no we 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 understand and uh, you know it is very important because suspension you know working with their velocity they working with their frequency so acceleration and inertia and masses are all very important in the dynamic of the vehicle but we do not like to think that something need to be compromised because the weight has to be very low you know we, we go till a certain extent and after we say no more because uh, we see what is happening uh, because we you know when you put in on a dyno test machine and you put some input and you look even with your own eyes not just with the instrument what is happening sometimes you scratch your head said oh maybe this is not a good idea so um we have uh, have uh, started the, the design of the fork thinking it was two area 
we wanted to improve uh, the safety issue around the crown on the single crown fork. Uh, we wanted to make it better sliding because anyhow a fork in principle worked very much like a front McPherson strut in rally that we know very well and uh, we have very good experience in all this. And obviously we wanted to have a, a very good uh, kind of uh, linear uh, spring capacity because everybody uh, uh, like to think that the best performance come from a coil, you know, and not from an air. But if uh, you can play a little bit around with uh, what the physics allowed you to do, uh, I think you can achieve something good, okay, and also with the air. So uh, the engineer, again, they were very uh, convinced that it was very important to work on having a good support at the SAG level. And so they made a lot of maths and simulation to try to, to get something that was uh, better to what it was around in the market. Hydraulically, I think we have done a great job because the design is of the cartridge is very nice. But again, it is something that for us is maybe the easier part to do because we have so much experience, so, very, so many different models that we can use to achieve uh, whatever I think we want. So uh, that hasn't been so difficult. And, and now, from what we have been learning, I think we know much better what we need to improve for, let's call it the next generation that hopefully will come next year or by hand of this year. Okay. So uh, this is a little bit what has happened with the, with the era. <laughs> no, that there's a lot of good stuff in there. One thing I was hoping to ask about and that I'm curious about is you've said quite a few times through this that, you know, you, you have a great deal of experience with damper design and some of the finer points that are more specific to the mountain bike world are a bit newer to EXT generally. But I'd be curious to hear more about kind of how you think about designing a damper for a mountain bike application as opposed to any of the various motorsports applications that you've been working in for longer. You know, uh, sort of to what extent is it the case that a damper is a damper and the uh, general concepts carry over pretty neatly versus, um, you know, maybe it's more just down into the finer points of the tuning that have to be different for a given application. But yeah, curious to hear you talk more about in what ways they are and are not similar, I guess. I'm going to be very, very straightforward. A damper, a damper, it is, as you said, a damper, it is a damper. Um, a damper is designed and built to be able to achieve certain type of control over the wheel that go up and down or the mass that move, uh, you know, again, a certain input. Um, 
today's damper, I will say they are built very much, very, very similar to each other. No big difference. Luckily, the no difference, it is the main difference. Where you making the difference, it is on the small difference that you can introduce from one to another. So, uh, i just tell you very briefly a, a, a very old story. Uh, in 89, before uh, I left to go to UK, I designed an F1 damper for Ferrari that we ran in uh, first in Silverstone and, uh, and after uh, it did prove to be very performance. So the technical director at the time at Ferrari told, oh, but this damper is so different to the previous one that it was uh, bought from uh, what it was a, a supplier. It was only two suppliers at the time for uh, automotive uh, Formula One was Kearney and Bistein was only these two. I said, yes, but the other are old style. We need to progress. And this is the new way to build something and it's proving to be much better. So said, oh, yeah, we need to send it to Fiat, that was the owner of Ferrari, you know, the company, and we need to put him through all the development tests and everything. I said, yes, and how long is it going to take? Oh, at least six months. I said, well, the championship will start uh, in, few, in two months, so are we going to wait six months to know something? that we already know it is working better. So uh, basically was still a damper, was still round, was still have oil, was still have a piston, was still have shims, still everything was safe. But understanding from dyno test and movement and data acquisition and thing, what it was, the type of work that the damper needed to be capable to, to provide, uh, we decided to change it to something that was more dedicated, more bespoke for this job. So when you know the big number and you know what type of uh, forces you are talking and you talk, you know about the, what type of velocity, what type of frequency, okay, you, you know, uh, basically you know what you need to build. So... And there you go back and say, well, I, I still have a cylinder with a, a rod and I have a, a piston, but I need to create certain type of characteristic. So there I think is becoming a question of what you are building as a genetic into your project. I, I am not, I don't want to tell people that our way, it is for sure the correct one. You know, I, I honestly, I, I don't care. Uh, I, everybody can think what they prefer, you know. I know that we, within the year, we have been proving that certain characteristics are more important than other. Okay? So certain things need to be there. Uh, I had uh, here at the factory, I think, two months ago, or three maybe, uh, Steve Jones came, and he asked, uh, so... 
what is a big important part when you build damper in dimension i said but you don't want to build a damper if you cannot keep all your sizes within 0.05 of a millimeter 0.05 it is a magic number anything that is more than this you're just wasting your time so when you build a damper tolerances certain dimensions certain finishes it is a must okay but it's a must for us and it's a must for everybody okay but when you have all this it is certain area that you can choose is you there there physics allowed you to choose certain things certain characteristic okay because you play with oil and oil is nothing to do with oil that is get hot and and is changing viscosity this everybody know okay no it's a oil uh, it is compressible a lot of people at school they learn that oil is not compressible but oil it is compressible so when you work uh, you are forced to work with the oil in the damper because it's nothing really better yeah you could do some water okay but after you find out some other problem but okay so you need to so you need to understand what are the effect of all the different uh, area of the valving of of your choices that you've done technically that are going to affecting the quality of the damping so we have decided that some are more important than other because it's always a question of anyhow of compromise so we are trying to build dampers that are very very low dependent in their characteristic from frequency uh, people maybe they want to do it in a different way our damper for sure have one characteristic that a lot of people love and a lot of people hate they're noisy okay <laughs> they make they do all this type of noise while they're working. Um, unfortunately, uh, yes, maybe people are not used to hear their own damper that is making this type of noise, but we think that if we want to achieve certain performance, a certain type of quality, some noises must be accepted, okay? Uh, and yes, Understanding that some noise maybe are disturbing and people think about the integrity of the product. Now we design it in a way where we can to keep it a little bit more quiet. But it is very funny because I have riders that race in motocross or in other uh, field and even in, uh, in mountain bike. They say, now they're telling me, you know, when I hear no more noise, I think something is wrong with the damper, okay? Because it's so good to hear all this noise while you jumping and you landing and in the corner, and you can feel that something is happening under your feet, or and, and you hear even if you're... So it's more a question of think of habit. So we like a damper to be very turbulent in the flow, and, and so a turbulent flow, it cannot be so silent. It's already in the word turbulent. You know, something turbulent is make certain noise too. Um, we, um, so we could have designed 
our damper, for example, like a twin tube. Okay? Twin tube is something that we use every day here. We build damper twin tube for everything else. So it's not that we do not know how to build it. I don't know if you saw two weeks ago, I think we, we put on uh, a post on uh, Facebook on an F1 damper next to the Storia. They were, okay. So they, they were very similar in size, general size. One a little bit more complicated in the design because it's more complex. But uh, the F1 damper was a twin tube. So people could say, though, why you are not building mountain damper with a twin tube? Well, the answer it is we think that twin tube damper offer a lot of advantage. If you can get the correct size of your valving and your design, the mountain bike doesn't offer today this option to have in some area with important size to achieve the flow rate that you want into the valve. Because anyhow, you're talking about some very high speed and some very important damping value. A damper is uh, in a mountain bike uh, with a lever ratio of 3 to 1, I think, is uh, start having some important spring rate and you need some good damping. So we, well, at today we know we wouldn't build a twin tube damper for a mountain bike because we were we wouldn't offer the best type of damping quality. And we think the monotube is still more performant. And yes, with a twin tube into this uh, design, it makes it easy to run low pressure because it's uh, inherent in the design to have a very little cavitation capacity in a twin tube, much more difficult to do it in a monotube. But we're running anyhow our monotube with 50 PSI, and if it doesn't cavitate, so means that something can be done also in that area to make it, you know, good grip, plush, sensitive, without have to go into the twin tube. So... For sure, I don't think our customer can expect a twin tube damper from us for a few years to come, for sure. I'm not saying never, because it's the same story for the air damper, okay? We are now, I think, quite everybody know we have an air damper coming, okay? We use air damper very often in other applications here, so we know very well the air technology so again you know you have some good qualities there and some bad characteristic that you need to cope but we have been designing a, a, an air damper now because the industry has allowed the capacity to fit some good dimension damper dimension for air that allowed to manufacture some a good quality product. So because of this, uh, we have decided, oh, we think we can do a good air damper.
because now the envelope around has uh, a little bit more space, okay? Because obviously they need to give a little bit more space for the coil damper. And obviously, uh, if you want to have a good quality air damper, you need to change some volume. So now the volume is there uh, and, uh, and we will, we are making and soon uh, it will be somewhere around. <laughs> We saw the uh, little teaser for that in in the um, factory video that you showed. There were some some CAD images on a computer screen of an upcoming air rear shock, and uh, I did want to ask a little bit about kind of your more general thoughts on air versus coil springs for a, a mountain bike application. Because to this point, you know, air shock is coming, as you've just mentioned, but you've focused on doing coil rear shocks for bikes, but then the uh the era is at least predominantly an air spring and so i guess just be curious for your take on the relative trade-offs of the two and kind of why you took different approaches for the rear shocks and fork at least with the initial versions that you launched the when we launched the first amper had to be a coil because Dave Garland asked. I think the air as they build today, from my experience, he said, are really bad as a performance. And uh, I strongly believe that a coil damper could be a much better product. We were capable to build a coil damper very, very quickly in the dimensions that have to fit a mountain bike. And uh, for for um, someone that manufactures suspension, um, the a damper, is, it is uh, the heart of the system and the spring is a mechanical, you know, uh, part, uh, you know, you can think it is a very simple part. I, I understand that it's not so simple, uh, even a coil. It's, if you want to build coil at a certain level, it's quite complicated too. Uh, but again, when you build a coil, a coil depends only from its uh, stroke. Okay, so it's really have one parameter to take care for is. Uh, kind of uh, uh, force a damper is depend from many other areas that you need to to consider so um, at the time we think for sure we can manipulate very well the hydraulic side we know very well how to do it okay the spring you know it's a it's quite simple in in the way it's going to react and you can measure it very easily. It doesn't have friction. It doesn't have stiction. It doesn't have all these problems that you get with an air. I said, as you, as we agree with you that to make a coil, it is the best option. We are going to go ahead and we make a, a coil. So uh, it was very funny also because when we were making a coil, and I think we were one of the first companies to introduce a coil 
in, in chassis that was born with an air suspension, completely different uh, uh, kind of curve characteristic from an air suspension six years ago to today. There was very high progressive, no much uh, tuning possibility, just pumping more air or putting token. So not really linear, compare a linear spring and to find out that a lot of rider was finding better the suspension working with a coil in a frame that was born with an air damper. That was very strange to us to understand it. So with the fork has been the same, okay? Uh, we couldn't use a coil because to make it, it would have been straight away heavy. And, uh, and uh, already our fork is heavier, or it's heavier than other, okay? And um, we were a little bit frightened that uh, if we were coming out with something was heavy, probably it would have been straight away budget like, oh, it is heavy, you know, just forget it, it's too heavy, okay? The, the other thing it is that uh, uh, the guy here wanted to take the challenge to prove that because most of the other four cars uh, with air, uh, that we could do an air that was working better than the other with air. And I think this has been quite successful too. Having said so, we are right now, and we did last two weeks, I think, two weeks ago, we went to Finale for three days and we did some testing and we had a coil fork and air fork that we are looking for the future because a lot of customers anyhow want to have a coil fork. And yeah, if we can make it to work properly, okay, and uh, without rattling and noise and with a, a good weight, an acceptable weight, we know that we left some customers that will be more happy. This is what it took us to, to make certain choice. Some, it is, uh, I think it's very difficult when you are no one in an industry to come along and said, I know better than everybody. I think you need to be Yuma, Yuma, I think, Yumil. Okay. Humble. Yes, humble. Okay. If it was for me, I would have been building straight away an upside down fork. Okay. But again, it's not, it's not been much success with upside down fork in, in mountain bike. So I think this is maybe somebody can expect that sooner or later it will come from us. That's a good teaser. I can just say, I can just, just say this. <laughs> but we are we are practicing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, look forward to that. And that's actually very similar to something that uh, Darren Murphy of Push said when I interviewed him just a couple of weeks ago, that in the bike world, you have to be very careful to not do anything that looks too different or too crazy because it can be hard to get something that is very different from what people are used to accepted, even if it works extremely well. And so there's kind of a fine line to walk of trying to both 
progress things forward, but also do so in a way that isn't so radically different that it's difficult for it to catch on. I, I agree. And unfortunately, I have to agree. In other industry, for sure, is this part is easy. To accomplish it, that you're going to make something radically different and it's going to be successful, I think is always difficult. But in other industry, uh, because of different way, uh, habits, uh, uh, people have, uh, are more open to, to experiment. Okay. In, in mountain bike, for sure, uh, it's, uh, it, it is more difficult, but doesn't mean that you cannot try. I mean, that maybe you need to, to wait a little bit more time and, uh, and to make sure that, uh, uh, what you have developed, you know, if everybody found it that is better, it will be better. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's it is for sure a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. No. It it would be nice to see that different, and it. I think people are kind of coming around on, on certain things. You know, we've had the bike industry has changed a lot, and in, in not very much time things have developed a lot and um i think one of the big real positives that you touched on is that people are becoming more accepting of a little bit of more weight as a if you know provided that it's done in a way that it offers something that performs better bikes have actually gotten a little bit heavier again in recent years because people aren't chasing weight quite as aggressively and are more accepting of some performance trade-offs there that I think are very much beneficial. Like you said, you know, trying to make everything absolutely as light as possible has real downsides. Here's to hoping we keep moving forward on that and people keep, uh, stay open-minded and willing to see some new things and not, uh, write them off immediately. Franco, this has been very cool and you've given us a lot of really good information just about the history of EXT and thoughts on suspension in general. And it's been great. But before we let you go, we do like to wrap up by asking our guests if they have a big idea to share with us. And that can be really anything at all from something silly to something very major and important. And do you have one final big idea to share with us? Honestly, I, I have so many different idea that go through my mind every day. And, uh, you know, I, I think the I just want to pass a message, okay? Uh, we want to make sure that what we are manufacturing it is uh, uh, something that uh, is carry on to be appreciated and uh, it carry. Uh, innovation that end up to make the user happy, uh, more safe when they're riding, and they obviously they, they appreciate all the efforts that we are putting in. We are not building anything just for the sake of making or because it's a time to, to change something. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it is not easy, but we have now 
make a big commitment uh, with this industry and we are playing to be uh, and to prove that we are for sure one of the best company around so i i i don't want to share an idea i want to share a, a promise we are here to try to achieve this and every day we we work for this so uh, a part of this i i wouldn't know what to tell you no that's good about uh, new 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 idea <laughs> it's a more it's more of a commitment i like it and We've certainly been extremely impressed with both the Storia and the Era. I've got full reviews of both on the site. We'll link to them in the show notes, but uh, they are both extremely impressive, and you've done some good work there. So thank you again for coming on. It's been great to chat, and looking forward to see what you have coming in the pipeline, too. There's some good teasers there as well. So it's been great to talk to you, Franco. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. Ciao. Have a good day. Okay, that's it for this edition of Bikes and Big Ideas. And again, if you're enjoying these conversations, we'd really appreciate you taking a minute to leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts. I also want to say thanks to Franco for the conversation, thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode, and thanks to you for listening. From all of us at Blister, please take good care of yourself and everybody else, and we will talk to you again real soon.